got a pretty good um, message. We're starting a new series this morning called Labels. And this morning we're looking at, the first label is child that we're going to look at. Um, and I'm really excited about this series. It's going to go for four weeks looking at some Old Testament characters and how God called them and what he did to sort of label them um, and to, to use them for great purposes. And so uh, we're going to look at some of these Old Testament characters over the next four weeks and, and see what we can learn, see what God would teach us. And the first one we're going to look at this morning is Moses. And I, I mean, we're not going to be able to talk about his whole life, but we're going to talk about a portion of his life, and we're going to look at a story especially found in Exodus chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, if you've got your phone, your device, or if you have nothing, uh, we've got a Bible on the screen for you to read along. So Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This morning, just to mix it up, I'm reading out of the ESV, extra spiritual version. good. There's lots of good versions of the Bible. All right, have you got it? Give you time to get there. Exodus chapter 3. I should mention also, I mean there's so many announcements this morning that we didn't put them all on the MC card, but in case you're unaware, there's an AGM today uh, after the service, so members, non-members, you're welcome to stay and join in the discussion, voting on new church council members, looking at some future staffing uh, proposals and New member applications, reports, lots of exciting stuff. Finance report from last year. It's all happening today, so stick around for that. All right, you've surely got Exodus. If you're looking, still looking for it, it's the second book in the Bible, um, just after Genesis. Page 40 for me. All right. It says this in Exodus 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them, bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel, Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? Everyone just say, Who am I? Who are you? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you. I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. 
Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Sounds like a Dr. Zeus book. Um, God also said, sorry, that's how my mind works. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And this is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God, we just pray again that you would help us to see you this morning, that you would help us to hear your voice, you would help us to hear what you want us to hear, that you would filter out my, my nonsense and bring clarity around your truth, and God, that you would help us not just to hear your word, but to do your word and to obey what you caused to, towards this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, I have to say this, a few years ago, a few years ago being oh, 20 years ago, Royce would say the other day, the other day when I was in year seven and eight, I began, for some reason, I don't know if this is normal for a seven, year seven or eight boy to do, but I began telling my friends what I would name my future children. Um, and when I was, I mean, you should never... Never take the suggestion of a year seven boy for what you call your child, by the way. Um, I hope you didn't do that, Russell. It doesn't sound like Theodore Stanley is something a year seven would come up with. Uh, it's not Coolio, yes. When I, when I was in year seven, thanks for the punchline. When I <laughs> was in year seven, I wanted to call my kid Coolio Mahiji. I don't even know what that means, but it just... Like, it just rolls off the tongue nicely, Coolio Mahiji. And so, um, as I grew a bit older and wiser, um, and then we fell pregnant um, with now our first son, Harrison, um, I really wanted... To, I, I moved past Coolio Mahiji, and I graduated. I, I was happy with whatever name that we, Alana and I could agree on. I just wanted the middle name, Danger. <laughs> just so that when he grew up, he could say, Danger is my middle name. Um, I just, and again, now that I'm wiser and I've got kids and I'm, I'm regretful we didn't make that decision. <laughs> no, Harrison George is a great name, it's a good, strong, um, royal sort of name. Um, but growing up, I, you know, I wanted to call um, these kids these ridiculous names and unfortunately or fortunately, depends which side of the fence you're sitting on, um, we didn't go with the names that I really wanted. Um, and so Alana really is the wisdom in our marriage and keeps me on the straight and narrow. Even when I'm preaching and doing things for church, she is always just reining me in. Brad, you can't say that. You can't do that. Um, you have a lot to thank Alana for, believe you me. Um, but, you know, I think when it comes to, to calling children something, there's something that uh, is is beneficial in, in more than one person deciding. I think when there's a collaboration of, um, of that decision, it, it works out better. Um, it definitely did in our case. Uh, but even when it comes, comes to our case, my naming game is not as strong as Alana's naming game. And even Alana's naming game is not as strong as God's naming game. Like he's, His name that he gives us, 
His label that he puts on us is far better than what our parents could ever give us. It's better than what we could ever give us. It's better than the world could ever give us. Better than anything could ever give us. God's label for us is better. And so as we launch into this series, this is really where we're going with it, is that the world labels us, the enemy labels us, and we label ourselves, but God has a better label. And and as we launch into this series and as we uh, prepare to do this series, you know, I was really thinking and praying through this that we might think, oh, I've heard this, you know, I've heard this sort of message before, Brad, you know, child, I'm a child of God, good on you. But I want to hopefully show you a different angle on this and, and, and see that uh, our labels and our identity in God, in Christ, is not just to make us feel good about ourselves. It's not just to boost us up and boost our self-esteem or our, you know, confidence and like, yeah, that's right, I am loved, I am a child. And it, it is for that, but it's for more than that. It's for more than that. As we see, you know, where we're going to go with this is that our identity, our label that God gives us is so that we will obey courageously. Is it so we'll step out in faith because we know who we are. So uh, let's have a look at, at Moses. Let's have a look at his life and, and how God transforms him, transforms his sense of his identity to take him forward to do this amazing task. So Moses, and, and, and if you've grown up in church, um, I'm sure you would have known the story of Moses, but for those that are unaware, I want to give you a quick recap so we sort of understand where Moses has come from, who Moses is and why this is so significant for him. So Moses' childhood, um, when he was born, there's the Pharaoh at the time put out the call that all Hebrew males should be killed. And so Moses was born to his mother and his mother... um, obviously didn't want that to happen, so she hid him in a basket and put him in the Nile and, and down the river. Uh, and then um, Moses' auntie at the time followed the basket or stayed with the basket um, and then the Pharaoh's daughter came and found the basket and she was hiding in the bushes and she said, oh, can I find a Hebrew uh, to nurse the baby for you and got Moses' mum. So Moses' own mother got to nurse Moses, even though she thought he was going to die, without Pharaoh's daughter realising who it was. And that's well and good. But she only nursed him up until probably, most would say, up until the age of like two, maybe three. And then it was hand back over to Pharaoh's daughter to be raised in Pharaoh's house. So he grew up as a Hebrew in an Egyptian house. He grew up as like an Israelite, if you will, in an Egyptian house where the Israelites were being oppressed. Not only that, he grew up in the house of the one who wanted him dead. Moses is going to grow up with some issues. This is not a good start to your childhood. This is not a good start to a two-year-old's or a three-year-old's life. So Moses and Pharaoh now, so Moses grows up in Pharaoh's house and he's, I'm sure he's confused in who he is. Is he an Egyptian or is he a Hebrew? Like, who who am I? Because at two or three, you don't really know that you're a Hebrew. Like, you're not really sure. So you've grown up in this Egyptian sort of culture and this Egyptian sort of way. And so he grows up, but he knows somehow inside that he's not an Egyptian. Maybe it's the color of his skin, maybe it's the the size of his nose, maybe it's whatever it is, it's something, you know, the movies would like to show us something, but there's something about him that he just knows that he's not an Egyptian. 
And so he grows up and then he sees, he goes out, you know, the story is famous, he goes out one day, and you can read this in Exodus 2, he goes out one day and sees the Egyptians, how they're handling the Hebrews, how they're handling the Israelites, and how they're whipping them and, and putting them into shape. And, and so Moses is furious. He says, I can't stand by and just watch this happen. And so he gets so angry that he goes and he kills the Egyptians that are doing this. And he thinks, oh no, I hope no one saw that. So he goes back and pretends like nothing happened. Which, again, killing someone. At whatever age this was, we're not really sure what age he was at this point, but at whatever he was young still, whatever age he was, killing someone, that is going to mess you up. No matter what sort of culture you're in. And so Moses grows up, confused in his identity, killing someone, tries to hide it, tries to hide what he's done. The Pharaoh eventually finds out, and then the Pharaoh, for the second time, tries to kill him. And so this time Moses runs and flees into the desert. And he is a nobody in the desert for 40 years. He is just tending somebody else's flocks. He's not tending his own flocks. He is literally just a nobody. And so when we think of Moses, we think this great leader who led the Israelites out of captivity and told Pharaoh where to go and all these great things. He was a great man of God. But when you look at his upbringing... When you look at the first 40, 50, 60 years of his life, it was not pretty. It was not a great start to life for Moses. We can think that Moses uh, is a man that has his life together, but I don't think he was that sort of guy. And I think from his interaction with God at the burning bush, I think it gives us a massive clue that he did not see himself as that sort of, I've got it together sort of guy. I think he thinks the complete opposite about himself. Um, I think when he has this burning bush experience, I doubt he had any sense of who he really was or where God was in his life or what God would want to do with his life. And so Moses is someone we can all relate to. He grows up in this sort of broken home, unsure whether his mother left him or, or even finding out what really happened, that, that trauma of leave, having your mother leave at two years old and being raised by someone else is... is is going to um, not go well with you. It's going to be hard for you in the future. And people telling him as he's growing up who he should be, he should be an Egyptian, even though he feels like he should be a Hebrew. Who does he listen to? In, in the chaos of his life, who was the voice that's loudest for him? Who is Moses? What label would he give himself? What label would his family give him? What label would Pharaoh give him? What label would his enemy give him? His people. What label would he give himself? And so I want to look at how Moses has this amazing conversation with God and what we might learn from that. So Moses is out in the, um, in the desert and he comes across this burning bush. He comes across a burning bush in the desert. And what happens, the first thing that comes out of this burning bush as he sets aside is his name. I love how God calls Moses by name. Moses, Moses. And for me, that's the most, one of the most encouraging things about this story is that God knows who Moses is. He knows Moses' name. Even though he's been out in the wilderness for 40 years, he's grown up, he's killed someone, he's a murderer, he's forgotten, he's been unloved or, 
or let go by his family. He's by himself. He's with his father-in-law and he is known by name. He is known by name. And for me, that, that tells me that God knows my name. God knows your name. You might think that you're nobody, that you're sort of hidden away, that you don't have much to offer. That's exactly who Moses was. And God knew his name. And God knows your name. God is always trying to get our attention. He's always trying to tell us our name, to get your attention, to get my attention, have something to say to you. And as I was reading this, I was interested to find out that some commentators were saying that a burning bush in the wilderness was not that unusual. It was not unusual for a bush to ignite, you know, hot, dry conditions, a a tree just to, to, to light on fire. It was not that unusual. What was unusual about it was that it was not burning up. But it would have been, or it could have been, easy for Moses to miss. Because it's just like, oh yeah, there's a tree burning. And I wonder how many times we're, look, we're waiting for our burning bush experience. And God is just using the ordinary things that we would see every day. But there's something different that he wants to say to us. There's something that he wants, he wants to address our name. And maybe this morning, a sermon could be your burning bush experience. Maybe in worship, a song could be your burning bush. Maybe as you walk out, a conversation could be your burning bush, something that is so normal to you, something you've seen before, something you've heard before. But God is calling out your name. God is trying to get your attention to say something to you. Moses stopped at this bush long enough to hear God. And so I think that we need to stop long enough to hear God's voice. We need to stop long enough and pay attention enough to recognize where God might be, what he might be saying to us. And so God grabs Moses' attention through this burning bush. Moses, Moses, and and Moses says, here I am. Here I am. What do we say when we hear God speaking to us? Here I am, or sorry, that's not what I want to hear. I'm waiting for a bigger sign, something more amazing. Here I am. What a profound way to respond to God. Is that your posture this morning? God, here I am. Nothing else, just here I am. Speak to me. I'm ready, I'm listening. I'm all ears. So then the conversation goes. God lays out a plan for Moses' life. And don't you just love the plan that, Mo- that God has for Moses, given Moses' upbringing, given what Moses has been through, God says, what I'm going to do with you, Moses, I'm going to send you back to the guy that's been trying to kill you. When you were a baby, and then when you were a bit older, that guy, the Pharaoh, I'm sending you back to him to have a conversation. It's like, how often is it God uses the things in our past, the most painful things in our past, and says, I've got a plan for you in that pain. But it's different to the pain. It's different to the thing that you've been through. You're going to approach it in a different way. And I'm going to use that pain. I'm going to use that experience for my benefit, for your good, for someone else's good. It's ridiculous to think about that Moses, of all people, was the one to be sent to Pharaoh. Moses, you know the people that tried to kill you as a baby, the mother who gave you up, Pharaoh who tried to hunt you down, all the trauma and heartache. I want you to go back there. The thing you've been running from for 40 years, the thing you've been trying to get behind you for the last four decades, I want you to go back there. 
There's something for you to do. There's an assignment for you to do. I think God has a way of taking us through pain to go back in a different capacity, to bring freedom, maybe to ourselves, maybe to someone else, to a different situation. And there's some things that we've been through that God has brought us through, brought us out of, and he wants us to use, he wants to use us again in a different way. So God's plans for Moses' life are ridiculous. And I think his plan for our life are ridiculous. And that's what stops us doing his plan. You know, Jesus' great commission for, for you, go and make disciples of all nations. I want you to go to the lost. I want you to bring them to Jesus. I want you to teach them to obey. I want you to baptize them. A lot of us look at that and go, that's ridiculous. I'm not qualified. I don't, I don't know enough. I'm not, I'm not that charismatic. I don't, I don't know what to say. People would think I'm silly. We might start throwing out the excuses that Moses throws out in the next chapter. I, 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 I stutter. I, I don't know how to speak properly. I'm not eloquent with my words. People would think I'm silly. The plan he has for your life and my life is ridiculous. Hopefully it's so big and so ridiculous that it drives us to the end of ourselves, it drives us to say, who am I? Who am I to do that? Who am I to go and make a disciple? Who am I? So you, Moses responds to this question, who am I to go to Pharaoh? And his question starts out as a question of excuse. His question starts as a question of excuse. Who am I to go and talk to Pharaoh? And free these people. And we might not articulate it that exact way, but I guarantee we've asked that same question. What? I, I don't think enough of myself. I don't have what it takes. I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And so for Moses, this question comes firstly as an excuse. Who am I? I can't do that. You're asking something that is better suited to someone else. What Moses is saying is saying, you're asking me to be something I don't see myself as. You're asking me to be something I don't see myself as. I wonder how many times we've responded to God like that. You're asking me, God, to be something I don't, I don't see myself being that. I don't see myself being evangelistic. I don't see myself being a prayer warrior. I don't see myself being an encourager. I don't see myself being someone who could forgive. I don't see myself as being that. And God will always call us to something that he sees in us that we can never see in ourselves. He has a better label, a better view of us. God's view of us is different than our own. And when we say, who am I? Like what Moses says. What we think and what he thinks are never the same thing. Even if you think you've got this sort of idea well grounded in your life, I guarantee your view of yourself is still different to God's view of you. Your view of you is not as complete as what God's view of you is. And so you would do yourself a favour to say to God, who am I? To not rest on your own laurels, to rest on your own assurance that you know who you are. God, who am I? He sees Moses in a different way because he created Moses. He made Moses. 
And I love God's response. So Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and do this and do that? And what does God respond? Well, Moses, this is who you are. Does he say that? No, he doesn't say. He doesn't answer Moses' question at all. He doesn't tell Moses who he is. What does he do? He tells Moses who he is. He says, Moses, it's irrelevant who you are. Essentially what he's saying is it doesn't matter who you are, but who I am, that's important. Who am I? That's, that's the question you need to be asking. God, who are you? Who are you? And so God begins to say, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign. Um, begins to say, I'm the God of your fathers, I'm the God of Abraham, the of God of Isaac. I am who I am. I am has sent me to you, you to me, whatever the riddle is. And Moses says, who am I? And God answers with, I will be with you. This is who I am. He answers with an explanation of himself. And this seems to be one of God's favorite ways of answering. We see it through the Old Testament, and then we see Jesus bring it in the New Testament. People ask a question, and Jesus is like, well, I'm just going to answer the question that you should have asked. I'm going to tell you what you should have, you know, the, the angle you should have come at this, I'm just going to tell you what you should have asked. And God tells us what we should know, what we need to know, not what we always want to know. And I think that's, this is not in my notes, but I think that's sometimes why God, when God answers our prayer, it's different to what we, it's not an answer. It's like, that's not what I prayed. It's like, but God has a way of like, I know that you were praying this and this is where you think this should have gone, but your prayer, your answer to prayer is this, because this is what you need to know and this is where you need to be and this is where you need to go. This is what you need to do. God has a, a much better, bigger, broader view of life than what we could ever have. And so God answers Moses, I am, I will be with you. God doesn't talk about who Moses is at all. He just spends time talking about who he is. Because of this, because whose we are is more important than who we are. Whose we are is more important than who we are. You know, in the beginning, in Genesis, it says that man and woman is made in the image of God. You are created in the image of God. I am created in the image of God. Now, if I was to make something in the image of myself, if I was to somehow create something that was trying to represent me, and you were trying to, and I just gave it to you, without any explanation of what it was, Surely, if you wanted to know what that thing was, you would go to the creator. You would say, this is supposed to be a copy of you? Well, I mean, firstly, it's terrible. But secondly, like, I need to look at you. You know, that idea of imaging God, or, or another way to say that would be to reflect God. When you look in a mirror, and you're trying to see if you've got something in your teeth, or um, how your hair's looking, and some of you, um, obviously, no, I won't say that. Um, (laughs) You're all very good looking. Um, you don't need mirrors. When you look at a mirror, are you looking at the mirror? Or are you looking at yourself? Both. But without yourself, without the original there, the mirror is useless. The mirror by itself is not, not much good. It needs the original to be able to see, to, for it to have any purpose. 
And so you and I are like mirrors, are like images of God. And so for us to find out who we are, we need to study the original. We need to look at the original. And I think that's what God is doing with Moses here. Who am I? Well, God says to Moses, this is who I am. And that's important. And when you find out who I am, all the rest will fall into place. Because whose you are is more important than who you are. When we're asking this question, who am I, we are asking the wrong question. The question should be, whose am I? Because if I'm God's, if I'm really God's, if this truth uh, is reality, if, I, if God is my God, is my father, if I'm his child, that changes everything. That changes everything. If I'm the creators, that changes everything. You know, there was recently a baby born, not Theodore, Although probably around the same day, Archie, was that the same day? Ah, not at all, way different. Anyone know who Archie is? Archie, somebody? Harry, is it? Oh, there you go. Some royal baby, for those who are trying to figure out who Archie is. When Archie grows up, um, he's going to have a certain confidence when he walks down the street. He's going to have a certain like uh, charisma or not charisma, but he's going to have a certain boldness in what he can do, what he can have, what he's entitled to, that other kids at the same age will not grow up with. Not because of anything he's ever done or would do or would become, just because of who his parents are. Just the fact that he is born into a royal family will give him a certain uh, spring in his step or ability to say things that maybe other people would feel, fr- feel frightened to say, or do things that other people would never be able to do, he's going to grow up with a different view on life than any other kid his age, just because of whose parents he is. And when God says to Moses, I am the God of your fathers, I am, essentially, he's saying, I'm your father. I am the father of any... Um, father you could ever have, whether you think your father's Pharaoh or um, Miriam or whoever it is, you know, I am your father. I am the one that you need to worry about. I am the one who tells you what to do, who you are, where to go. And so for those of us that grow up in good homes or bad homes or somewhere in between, the great promise of God is that he is your father. And that's not just a cliche statement that we like to sing about and say, but in reality, when, if, think about this, if you were born into the royal family, what would that change for you? Knowing that, maybe you find out, you get a letter in the mail, actually, you're of royal bloodline, what would that change for you? You would, that would change everything. It would change your view on life, it would change the way you conducted yourself, you would suddenly, maybe you would dress a little bit nicer or care about, you know, how you spoke or practice your British accent, I'm not sure, but you would, it would change things for you. When we understand that we are gods, we are the creator of the universe, he calls us his child, when we understand whose we are, it changes everything for us. Our confidence, our courage comes from whose we are. And so God's interaction with Moses of saying, this is who I am. I will be with you. 
I will send you. I will go with you. Like I said at the start, it's more than just a pep talk for Moses. It's not just to make Moses feel good about himself. It's not just an identity crisis that Moses is having. But this labelling for Moses is for a task. It's to propel radical obedience. It's to propel a, a courage and a faith that you could never conjure up on your own through some sort of self-esteem, some sort of telling yourself every day, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. Knowing whose you are will give you the courage and the faith, the tenacity to step out and do whatever God is calling you to do, like nothing else could ever do. God labels us for a purpose. It's for action. It's for obedience. God calls Moses to action. Moses is unsure of himself, but God reassures Moses of who God is. And then he says, this is the assignment. This is what I want you to do. Who am I? This is a good question when it's asked as a question of humility. We can say this is a question of excuse. Who am I? I can't do that. I don't have what it takes. Or we can say, who am I? Who am I to go against what the God of the universe would ever tell me to do? Who am I to not obey? Who am I that, to be worried about life? Who am I to, to think I know more than God Almighty? Who am I? I'll do it, God. When we say, who am I, with humility, it's a great question. Because it lowers ourselves and raises God up. It gives us confidence. So I ask myself, who am I to disobey? Who am I to think I know more than God? Who am I to worry about? what and where the Creator calls me to. I am nothing, but He is everything. We don't need more self-esteem, and this series is not about building your self-esteem up. It's not a self-help sort of series, telling you how good you are, because you're not good. You're like Moses, you're like me. We cannot do anything that God wants us to do without His help, without Him actually calling us to that. If God calls me to go and make disciples, I can do it. But if he doesn't, and I try myself, I can't. I can't do anything without God calling me, without God being the, my father. If God is for us, if he is the one that calls us, what and who could ever be against us? And so you can be confident in who he is. And when you're confident in who he is, you'll step out to be who he sees you to be. And so I pray that you would see how good God is, how strong he is, that you would stop thinking about how good or bad or unqualified or qualified or or whatever it is that you think about yourself when it comes to stepping out and obeying God courageously. You take your eyes off yourself and you would learn the lesson from Moses. What God would want to do with you is lift your eyes and see him, that I am has sent you that he is the great God and he sends us, he calls us, he identifies us as his own. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are so thankful. We stand in awe of you this morning that you would call us your child, that you would call us your own. And we pray that you would help us to see what you see. God, that you help us to step out and be who you see us to be. 
as we keep our eyes fixed on you. God, I pray that we would ask that question with humility. Who am I to go against what you want? Who am I to say that I'm something different? Holy Spirit, would you fill us with that that boldness and that courage so that we could step out in faith to obey you with everything you call us to. We thank you for your presence with us this morning and we pray that you would help us to hear your voice. That the burning bush experience that Moses had would be something that we have in our everyday life as we walk around, as we recognise you speaking to us. We would turn aside and say, here I am. I'm ready to do whatever it is you want me to do because you're my God, you're my Father. Help us, Holy Spirit, to live like that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together one more time and sing as we close.